Tonight, a few years ago, uh, well, 30 years ago to be more exact, I was assisting with a friend's uh, Bantam AAA team at the All-Ontario Bantam AAA Championships. And the way the, uh, the rooms were, the dressing rooms were set up in this rink in Hamilton that was hosting the championships was that there was an adjoining uh, washroom between two dressing rooms. So if you went into the washroom from your room, the door to the next team's room would be closed, locked. So my friend was giving the pregame speech and I happened to be standing by the door to the washroom. Uh, and it was a big game. It was just before, I think it was the semifinal. We did get to the final. We lost in the final in overtime. But um, I'm standing by the door and I heard a sound behind the door. So I told my friend to just stop for a second. And I very quickly opened up the door and there was the coach of the opposing team that was sharing the washroom with us, standing by the door, listening to us. <laughs> so, yeah, what not to do in the room. There have been three occasions that I can recall in my coaching lifetime when I've opened up my mouth in a dressing room and I was totally wrong, thoroughly embarrassed. Uh, in one case, I actually left the team a week later. This was in Ottawa. Uh, there was a high school team. I got very angry at them once because of uh, their attitude towards the opposition on the ice. And there was one occasion with a Bantam AAA team where I unloaded on one of my players in front of his teammates because although we had lost in the final game of the playoffs, uh, he had acted like a complete jerk. Um, in front of the opposing team and tried to get into a fight and I addressed them uh, for it in the room. Other than that, I've always taken a little, little bit more careful, thoughtful approach. So I think three really horrible situations over, you know, 50 years of coaching is not entirely bad. Uh, and in case you're getting the message that this show on Grassroots the Minor Hockey Show is about the dressing room, you'd be 100% right. It's Richard Berkison. And you are listening to Grassroots, the Minor Hockey Show podcast. Today's show is called The Room. And joining me, as on the last show, uh, is Dean Holden in Calgary, who's coughing up the last bit of pizza from his dinner. And we're going to talk about what coaches should or shouldn't do in the dressing room. We all have stories, Dean, you know, from, from playing days, from coaching days, of coaches who just don't shut up. What exactly is the problem? Yeah, um, I think there's a, a feeling that coaches want to be in control, and to be in control, you have to demonstrate your, your authority, your power, we and talked about that in the show about uh, the addiction to drills. Exactly, and I, I think it's just a, it's just an extension or a part of that where um, if you're not front and center in the room, you're not doing your job as a coach. That's your job. You got to be in there and tell them what to do, when to do, how to do, why to do, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's um, it's very dictatorial and very um, can be very prescriptive, and it's very coach centric. Um, in the last probably 10 to 15 years, I've seen a lot more, not a lot, but I've seen a shift from the 
the coach centric to a, a player centric, athlete centric view. There's a lot more research out there now on that, um, and it's becoming um, more of a desired um, process where now the 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 coach need, is is needing to realize that they're there to serve the team and to serve the greater good rather than be the center of the tension and um, you know shut up listen to me I have all the answers if you don't I'm gonna send you down to a farm team in Medicine Hat you'll be on the first bus <laughs> you know it's I've not never like been to Medicine anymore. Hat what kind of a place is it ironically my dad was born in medicine hat okay and, uh, i could tell you lots of stories about medicine hat um i don't want to lose the two v uh, listeners that we might have in medicine Ooh, hat. Ouch. so i'll um i'll just say that my dad was born there i visited there many times and uh, i have not been back for a while i see often uh, and have for a number of years a steady stream of coaches uh, we're talking about games now um, who after a period, like when the flood is about to happen uh, or after the game go racing into the room from the bench without giving a single moment's thought or without having any notes or just, you know, they're angry because the team lost or didn't play well uh, and yak at the players under the, under the, the mistaken, view that something that comes out of their mouths is going to be so significant that it's actually going to make a difference. I agree. It's um, reactionary words should not be, should not be said or used in the dressing room um, in the heat of the moment, nor should they be publicly um, displayed on social media. Because oh god oh god although although you're talking about the dressing room in a game situation here i think that in this day and age um you know we also have to be aware of the impact that uh, a well i say a well-intentioned note on social media because the coach might think he's trying to help by saying something but he's not thinking and so saying it in, in, a, in a dressing room or typing it into your twitter or whatever it is don't it's like the the 24-hour rule um you know in minor hockey where if somebody's got an issue sit on it for 24 hours don't don't state it just sit on it and then sleep on it and then by the light of day next day think about it again and is this something you you wish to pursue and bring up and start to go through the process like unpa unpack it a little bit gain a little bit of time away to gain that perspective and then decide is it something I still need to say? Is it that significant? And and hopefully by then, the emotion is, is, is gone. So if you do need to say something, it's done in a more thought out and calm, rational manner. I'm going to fall back again on the uh, the analogy I used in the last show about uh, uh, the addiction to drills. Uh, using a, a classroom teacher with 30 kids, you know, doing, let's say, math, grade six math grade 11 math. And as every teacher will know, you will have the, the days when things just don't go well. They just don't get it. They're, they're asleep. It's the day after Halloween or the day before Christmas break, or there was a full moon or there was a party at Billy's house. You know, God knows what's been going on. And 
the teacher gets up in front of the room and wants to give a class detention, which is, you know, years ago, nobody does that anymore, but blasts the, uh, the students for their lack of effort or perseverance in dealing with, you know, two digit addition or the quadratic function or something. And, you know, out of the 30 students, there may be five that were a problem. So what's the difference between that and going into a dressing room after a game and saying, all right, we didn't play well. We, sh we, we should have won and we didn't win and we have to do better. And the kids are nine years old or they're 12 years old. What about the follow-up in practice? Okay, let's look at what we did in the game that didn't work or what we didn't do in the game that we should have. And we'll address that as a coaching staff. You go and you talk to your players, say, well, that's the way it goes some days. They beat us eight to nothing, and uh, we have to work on our defensive zone play a little bit. We'll do that uh, next practice and see you next week. A few years ago, I mean, I, I, I did the same thing. I, I would do or I would do the same thing, but I, I recognized a few years ago, like I, when I go in the room now, and I, I'm, I'm still I'm a work in progress. I'm imperfect. I'm not nearly good as good as I want to be. But when I go into the room, I, I used to tell them what I thought about the game, and I don't. I, I like to try to talk to my assistant coaches, um, if at all possible, normally speaking, you know. Um, what did you guys think out there, you know, during the game, you know, and before the period intermissions um, at our level at U15, we say on the bench and we have like a 30 second break and then we get out, we don't get any scrape, we just get going, right? So there's very limited time to, to ask while the game is going on. But it, if all things were equal, if, if everything was perfect, we would have a chat as we're walking back to the dressing room. You know, guys, this is what we're going to do on our chat. You know, we're going to have it. Think about one or two things, good or bad. And that's it. That's all we got time for. We got a three minute walk back to the room. When we get to the room, then we go in the room because you have, the kids have to be supervised. You can't wait outside. It's against our bylaws. They're, the kids are not supposed to be in the room until two adults go in the room. So they actually have to wait outside the dressing room door, in theory, you know, a locked door until we get there. So we, we have to have our poop in a group by the time we get to the door, open the door, kids go in. We can stand there as they go in, then we go down, we go into the room. I don't open with, well, you know, we lost eight nothing, we sucked, bad D zone, blah, blah. I don't say anything. I just, I say, okay, um, we know what the score was. I want everybody to take a minute and think to themselves, what did you do well tonight? And what do you need to improve on tonight? And I want you to take a minute and think about it. And then there's that, as we mentioned last show, uncomfortable silence for a minute. And you really got to reinforce with you 15 boys, as you do probably with almost every level or gender, age, take a minute. I will tell you when a minute is up, but take a minute, think. Now, sitting in your lines and your D partners or sitting with the person beside you, you know, the think, pair, share, I want you to share what you thought you did well and what you need to improve on with your partner, your pair, or your group of three or five, like whatever you want to do, however you set it up. Have them talk about it a little bit. And then you can ask them, okay, 
let's share some things with the group. Now, I've done this starting back with my novice kids. Now, I don't know what you call that. That's seven, you, eight, I think. Yeah, U9. Yeah. U9, right? So I started doing it there. Um, I, I didn't, didn't I, I tried a little bit in Timbits, but I mean, just the emotional immaturity at that point. And they're, they're just, you get some pretty cool random answers, but that's about it. You know, and even at novice, it's a challenge, right? But it's no different than a teacher being in a, in a classroom. A teacher wouldn't just go in or shouldn't go in and just tell them what to think. A teacher's job, and just like a coach should be, is trying to engage the kid's brain to draw right. learning out of them, not right. tell them we so suck, yeah. we're it's, terrible at D zone, yeah. and little you know, Richard, you you let your man go three times, you pass it through the middle. Oh my God, what are you doing? You, you're like, uh, no, I don't care. You know what? I don't care what I think. I really don't care what my coaches think. What I do care about, what do the players think? What is the players' perception on an eight nothing loss? Maybe they all think that we sucked and they're right. Maybe they all think we sucked and we're wrong because I saw a lot of great things. We got some bad calls, some unlucky bad. I, I don't know. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I think. What do the kids think? We need to ask them that. Before we came on the air, we were throwing around uh, names that were well, a good friend of mine. And you you met him at the coaching conference in uh, in Oshawa, Rick Leiter, who now lives in Southern Alberta and is probably one of the best minor hockey coaches I've ever seen period uh, and had a lot of success tough on the kids, but a lot of success. He had a really cool idea that I've stolen from him because I, and I'm a kleptomaniac for, for coaching ideas. His idea was he did this every game, every practice, he would go into the dressing room calmly, get, get his act together, talk to his assistant coaches. He wouldn't go off the rails. And he'd go into the dressing room, let's say after a game or between, well, it would be after a game or after a practice. And he, sa- and he says to the players, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the highest, one being the lowest, give me the number that you felt your game was, how you played, and also how the team you felt was. So you go around the room, the goaltender would say, well, I thought I was a seven out of 10. The team was a nine out of 10. Had I been better, we, you know, we, we probably would have pulled out a tie type of thing, you know, and each player would give two scores. They're not recorded. They are a way for the, co- for the players to express what they think about their play. Invariably, they were tough on themselves, much tougher than the coaches would have been because they, they know when they felt good when they were playing a game as opposed to not. Same after practice. How is that practice for you? And how is that practice for the team? I had a really good practice today, coach. I'm going to give myself an eight out of 10 because my last two practices, I think I was down around six or something like that. I thought the team had a really strong practice. I thought the team really flew today. We were nine, lots of really good drills. (laughs) Um, And it worked. (laughs) Dean, it's okay. It's an example. (laughs) Um, It's a dirty word, Richard. I know, I know, but it worked because it, it did exactly what you just said. It gave the players an opportunity to express themselves and be honest in front of the rest of the team on their own play as well as their teammates. I think it's a great idea. And I mean, you know, Rick Rick provided them with um, context then around what's the scale of measurement here so everybody understands, um, you know, and then away they go. I know I'm just, I'm trying to remember 
So David Laszlo, that's the name I was trying to remember. David, he's coaching, he's back in Finland right now. And I had him on the show last year. Yeah, yeah, he's very good. So I've talked to David off and on um, through social media. Again, him and yep. Nick Hill from last yep. show. Yep. Um, I, I met him through social media and um, he sent to me, This is he, he attended that um, the Viramac Institute for Sport at Haga Helia University. In they Finland. Have a great hockey, yes. hockey coaching program there. Yeah. And um, a degree program. So he went through that. And I think his his um, bachelor's thesis was something along the lines of like a, a player rating system, like self rating. And he had sent me some earlier iterations of it to have me kind of go through it. And, and it, I, I, I won't forget it because it was instead of using like a, a one to 10, he had to come up with something because he's, he's, he's been coaching in foreign countries. Like he's been in Finland, Denmark, Norway, back in Finland. Um, so he used uh, uh, emojis. So he had, um, oh. you know, so, a, so he had, I think, a, and I can't remember the exact details if he had four or five, if it was an odd or an even, but he kind of had a, a face with the, the flat line, like kind of a, you know, average. And then he had, a big Cheshire cat grin for a five and he had a guy crying as a one. And then I can't remember if he had a two and a three in various scales of, you know, a little downturn frown or a little upturned smile, but that was his rating system. And he had, it was all through an app that he was developing. And it was an online thing where he would get the players to record their feelings about practice that day in different categories practice games and i think he also incorporated into a some sort of an online journal like I, I can't remember all the details but i do remember what struck me about it was the two things one was a like a self scale but it, the scale itself was based on emojis because then it it goes across countries cross languages right. I, right. I saw it was a brilliant uh, way to get insight that is players. cool yeah i did when i spoke to him i had him and his goalie coach um mm -hmm. i think his goalie coach was swedish he was in the midst of going from sweden to uh to, to finland at that that point when i spoke yeah. to him on the show yeah. uh, a couple of years ago uh but getting back to coaches going into the room in minor hockey I don't know whether they think that it at the pro level, I mean, you've been at the pro level and yeah. I've had my cup of coffee for that one year in France, but I don't know whether they think that pro coaches, let's say the NHL, the American league, East coast league go storming in the dressing rooms and berate the players. Like you'd turn the players off in about 10 minutes doing that kind of thing. It, you know, there's, there's discussion, there's analysis, there's, it might show a couple of video clips you might show a couple of players stats. Uh, what I always did with, with the guys I coached with, we'd say, all right, we want to pick out the centers. Let's, let's talk to the centers because our face-offs have not been very good. So uh, Pete, why don't you talk to the centers? I'll address the defenseman on the pinching issue and we'll bring them out of the room. Then we'll go in. We'll have a quick word about let's work on our four check guys, stay positive and off we go, you know, sort of divide and conquer. The all or nothing stuff on the Toronto Maple Leafs on Amazon Prime. I saw that. For those listeners that haven't been at the pro level as a player or a coach lately, there's little pieces, bits and pieces in there, um, kind of like, you know, before or after games and, you know. Right. Not so much practices, like it's more of the, 
the players where they say it's not the coach coming in and then there's there's practice on the ice practice and it was a short know. series i believe only five episodes i can't imagine why yeah. but anyway yeah well and, and i mean and apparently they've done it for other sports as well for yeah. pro soccer yeah. Yeah. et cetera, yeah. et cetera. but it, it, it'll give it'll give somebody that hasn't experienced that themselves a taste of what it's like and you know even the western league um you know university um junior a i mean it was something like i i played up to the that level like into junior and, and a bit of university there but i um you know it wasn't good uh and it was a short short trip but <laughs> i got to see what it was like but that was back in the 70s 80s and Times have changed, cultures have changed, what's appropriate and inappropriate's changed. Um, I think what you say from, you know, the coach going in there to kicking the ice bucket and the puck bucket and yelling and screaming and throwing clipboards, like when I was playing, yeah, that's like, that, that was common. Like we, we had far worse than that. I mean, I lived through the, you know, part of the Graham James era, but the, the stuff that you see now at the higher levels, I think outsiders or people that aren't aware of it would be surprised at, at how brief it is and how focused it is. And you're in and you're out. Now we're talking minor hockey. So it's different, it's not pro. Um, so we need to be careful to recognize that. In our association, I mentioned earlier, there's very strict rules because of the hazing and the bullying and the, the people like Graham James that predated us. And we have to have two adults in the room at all times. We have to. And it doesn't have to be the coaches. It could be parents or whatever. So in a minor hockey setting, and this is Calgary in minor hockey. I don't know what they do anywhere else. But we're supposed to have that. And it, I'll be honest, with COVID right now, I don't like even going into the freaking dressing room. So I like to stay outside as long as I can and send other sacrificial adults in for me because I just, I just don't want to be in there. But, but if there wasn't COVID, Richard, we would still we'd be sitting there or standing in the corner while the kids are there in minor hockey. And then at a certain time before game time or a certain time before practice, we would establish a routine where you need to be ready by and then the coaches are going to say a couple of words. The problem that I see in minor hockey is it's very long-winded. I've, I've even seen it on our team this year where we'll have a soliloquy and a monologue take place that could go anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes before a game. And I, I just observe and I watch, but I, I, I get a little twitchy. And really, yeah. it should be one point, not three points, not two points. No. One point you should be able to get it in and get out within 30 seconds or a minute, in my estimation. You and don't need to complicate it. You don't need to lengthen no. it. And it's not just uh, the length of time. It's who says what. Um, you know, and it, when. It, what's that? And when. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost when I've been doing it with coaches uh, that I've worked with, it's almost scripted. You know, you, you briefly touch on this. I'll briefly touch on that. And out we go. Or rediagram the power play. We want to work this, you know, when in junior, uh, we'll work the power play this way. Let's, you know, pay a particular attention now to our, our slot guy or, you know, whatever it might be. But it's still going to be pretty close 
to 30 seconds, 45 seconds. And it may be the head coach going first. It may not, but it's scripted. It's not four different coaches all throwing in, which I've seen all too often. There's a four-player coaching staff or four-man coaching staff. I don't know what they're all doing on the bench because you only need two, one for forwards and one for D. It's minor hockey, for God's sake. How much feedback do you think you're going to give to kids on the bench in the middle of a hockey game? <laughs> My That's... perfect minor hockey coaching staff would be me and two mums. Uh, two mums. Yep, that don't know squat about hockey. Oh, okay. No, and, I, and I'm, ser yeah, I'm yeah, dead yeah. serious when I say this yeah. because I just want them to be there to work the gate or right. if somebody right. has a, an issue to right. deal with the issue. Leave the kids alone. Right. This goes back to the whole feedback thing. Let them play. Shut yeah. up. Yeah. Let them yeah. play. We'll ask them questions right. later. But the game is for the kids. It's right. a practice where I find that's where – I would say there should be more interaction with your players. But it, it carries over from practice too, because you get four five, six adults on the ice, all yakking at the kids about something. Most of it is, you know, inconsequential gibberish, uh, not really relevant, not really helpful. Then you get four adults on the bench. You get a trainer and three behind the bench. And one of them is overseeing everything. Well, if you're not changing the lines, you're not changing the defense pair. What exactly is your role? You know, and then they're going into the room and all three of them are yakking. Yeah, you know? but they want to be part of it. It's it's in minor hockey. I see it. They all want to have four A's on their arm. My kid plays triple A, quadruple A. My kid's an honor roll student at this school. Like it's a lot of times I see a lot of ego gratification, and it's not so much I want to become a better coach. Like in minor hockey, we don't pick our coaches. We don't pick our teams. We're given our teams, and we said you got to pick parents from your group. That's right. how it works here. So it's could be different where, where anybody is. But I, I every year I come across that within this system that I'm operating under in minor hockey, there's always at least one person on the staff that's just there because it's um, A, there's no more fundraising, there's no more responsibilities with the team. You show up once in a while and you're carded as a coach, gets you off the hook for any right. monetary or time commitments. And it's just, I just want to be there so I don't have to do anything else. It's kind of sad. It's well, it, it is, it is, but it, it's also minor hockey and everywhere. It probably suffers from the same malaise. Um, you know, it's still a matter of getting to the coaches and trying to get them to understand that uh, less, as you wrote to me the other day, less is more. Uh, mm -hmm. Shut up and let them play is one guy I used to work with in hockey school in Ottawa used to say, uh, Rick, shut up and let them play, you know, right. You know, shut up and let them think about the game. Uh, the other thing I would say about the room is I know that the space is often limited. Some of the rooms are real <sighs> garbage and, you know, there's hooks on the walls and, you know, clothes hanging, but use more visuals. Like if you have a favorite saying, I, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the Ted Lasso series on uh, on Apple TV, which is hilarious, and there's a lot of good stuff in there actually amazing, about coaching. Amazing, a lot of good stuff about coaching in there. And the very first episode, he wrote out the word "believe" on a piece of paper and stuck it over his office. And after a while, after two years of this show, now the players are touching that sign, "believe." Mm -hmm. You know, they're starting to believe now. So using visuals in the room, you know, sayings. Um, keeping stats, you know, uh, putting a stat up on the wall and saying this period we were better at giveaways than they were, you know, in the, in the first period type of thing. Uh, something for the, the kids to shoot for. But to just go into the room willy-nilly 
and everybody has something to say, or the coach chews them out, or even gives them rewards. Great job, guys. You did great in the first period. Not so good in the second. Shut up. The game's over. See it at practice tomorrow night. <laughs> you know, practice to game, game to practice. I remember um, one guy I, I had the pleasure of working with through Hockey Alberta. He, I think he's still based in Camrose. I don't think he's an active coach anymore, but Doug Fleck, he managed, I don't know if he owned it, he managed the Fountain Tire location there, but he was a, a long-time minor hockey coach and for many years was the assistant coach with Camrose Kodiak Junior A team. Like uh, Boris Rebelka was the head coach there and GM for many years, but Doug was kind of the, the long-serving uh, assistant in the shadows. But I'll tell you what, um, I met him through Hockey Alberta at a number under 16, under 17 camps on the male side. And uh, the POE stuff, he, he was exceptional. Like I learned so much from him. And specifically, we talked about creating culture, like what you're talking about with Ted Lasso. And, and that's, uh, I would say that's an amazing, if a coach really wants to learn a positive athlete-centric way to coach i know it's fictionalized um story you know in the premiership but i'll tell you that ted lasso can't be beat i can't wait for next year's episodes which unfortunately last to come out but doug told me cameras was, was successful for many many years in, in the alberta junior hockey league and he told me um, we talked about this very thing about culture creation, but what we're talking today, how do they handle the room? And he said, like, Boris was the head guy, Doug was the assistant, and they had a third guy as well, usually. You know, I don't know if they had a fourth guy or a video guy, but he said, look, we've got strict rules, and like a, a, our standard operating procedure is we talk as a group, Boris asks us, one good, one bad, what is it? And you can't just say, well, our D zone sucks. We got to get it better. Again, it goes back, I think, to last show, the Dave King two by two matrix, general, specific, positive, negative. But in this case, it's general, not good enough. Specific, yes. What is it? How do we fix it? Give us an action right. step. Right. So, How do we fix it? Yes. So, right. so it's got to be short to the point. Because they said the rule was is that Boris would address the team before the game, and I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but one of them would address the team and only one before the game, at the end of the first period, the end of the second period, the end of the game. Even though there was three guys in there, potentially four, with a video guy, but only one was allowed to speak, and this was all prearranged and scripted, like you said. So they all knew that Boris would talk before the game. And at the end of the game, Doug would talk in the second and the third coach would talk in the third or, you know, between period one and two, Doug would talk between period two and three, the third guy would talk, but, but whatever it was, but there is a, a, there is a scripted and understood role and, and, and when you were able to say anything and they also limited how many things you could say. Now I can't remember how many, but it was, it was less than three and in between periods when they're going in to get their their story straight so to speak before they address the team it was okay Richard 
give me two things, one good, one bad. Okay, we're really doing good in the four check. The thing I want you to say is our, our F1 and F2 are so hard on the puck, their feet are moving all the time. We've got to keep that up, keep the pressure on, finish the hit. The first guy finishes the hit, second guy's take away a pass, outstanding. Okay, good. What's the, what's the negative thing? Okay, well, you know what? Our back check, though, because we're, we're putting such pressure on four, on our four check, our F3's getting sucked down. He's not coming back, and he's not tracking through the middle. He's not picking up the last guy. Okay, so what do you want there, Richard? Come on. What do you want? Yeah, well, how do we fix it? How do we fix it? Yeah, how do we fix it? Our F3's got to be higher. Right. It's got to be right. more patient right. so they can be first back right. and they head on a swivel, pick right. that guy up earlier. Okay, good. That's what the one guy... You know, he's going to take what you said, he's going to take what I say, and he's right. got his own thing, and then he's going to pick what are the two most important things out of those six. And and it was like scripted, and it was like clockwork, and they say, and, and, and so Richard, if I'm talking in there, and if it's my turn, you don't look at the other coach and say, do you have anything else? Or look inquiringly, no. like, do you want to say, shut up, it's too yes. bad, it's gone, right. it's done. Right. And he said, and this is it, the second thing that I learned from him, he said, there's always going to be that guy on your staff, new staff, people don't know. They're going to want to say, like, the guy talking doesn't say, you know, does anybody else have anything to add or anything like that to give that opportunity? You don't, you know, shut up, just just get out right. of there. You, you said your piece because some guy will try and interject. Oh, and one more thing. And this is Doug Flex. This is the best. Oh, and one more thing, or just one more thing. So you never go in and say, I'm going to give you one thing or two things or three things. Don't attach a numerical value to it because you'll forget. And you might not give the one or thing if you've said it's one or you well, right. The answer to that is write them down. Well, yeah, but but don't don't even say, just say, I want to go no. over something with you. And then you can just go over them if you want. Oh, and just one more thing. No, shut up. You can't add. Right. You're done. Get right. out. Let them right. think. Right. To extrapolate that into minor hockey situations, you also have to know your audience. So you're going into a yeah. group of house league kids, tier two, competitive level kids. They're, they're 11 years old, 13 years old. You think they want to hear from you after they've won a game, lost a game, tied a game, came back, had too many penalties. I love this one. Stay out of the box. What? What does that mean? Stay out of the box. You have no control of the officiating. What you do have control over is how do you teach your kids to control their sticks in practice so that they're not going to get the hooking and high sticking penalties. Okay. So, uh, you know, what to say to a group of children, they're children, even the 16 year olds and junior 17 year olds and junior, mm. you know, be specific, get to the point of what you want them to fix. And maybe even demonstrated in the room. We got defense, Stick on puck. We got to have the stick on puck first before you do anything else. I'm going to show you what I mean. So watch him go in the corner, get your stick down, stick on puck. We're going to do that all next period. That's your focus next period because everything else you're doing mm -hmm. is pretty good. Just the one thing. That's it. And I think to go back to our earlier conversation here on it is go, like we have this conversation as a staff outside. So we know right. here's four to six points we're going to use maybe one but engage the kids like right. we said think pair share whatever sure. how do we play what do you think what, what do we need to work on right you know billy juliet sam you three 
take a minute and then you're going to tell us what went right. right, one thing, what didn't go well. And if there's something that aligns with what the coaches are talking about, you build on it. So it's their idea. This is not to say, of course, Dean, that it's, it's a pervasive endemic problem in minor hockey. I'm suggesting that it just happens far too often. Coaches get themselves in trouble, uh, tick off some kid, tick off the co- an assistant coach, plan it out, make sure that everybody knows what their role is and what their roles in the dressing rooms, uh, in the dressing room is. No, what their roles are in the dressing room, <laughs> something like that. Even to the point of, I, I hate this thing on, on the ice in practice, the drill is over or the small area game is over and yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. So whatever you're doing is now over and the coach says, uh, or an assistant coach chimes in from the back of the group. Cause you're now in front of the board as the coach is drawing out what's next. The assistant coach is standing at the back and saying, now one more thing. When you do this, you got to do that. You do th- Wait a second. The drill is over. Unless you're going to go back and do it again. No, don't add anything more. No, I think I think that's a great point. And, and Doug Fleck also commented on on, on that scenario. And the, and I, I can't remember like that was in, in the '90s. What's his name was coaching um, the LA Lakers had that big run. Um, was it Phil Jackson? Yeah, and yeah, it was Phil Jackson. Book. He wrote. I had this little paperback. No, twelve um, rings. No, that's the latest one. But back in the day, he had this book about. Oh, How Zen. Coaching. Yeah. No, maybe it wasn't. Maybe. No, Pat Riley. It was Pat Riley. Was Sorry, Pat wrong, Riley? Wrong, okay. Yeah, yeah, wrong team. My, my NBA right. knowledge is. Right. Uh, anyway, but he, he talked about a thunderbolt. And um, and so for him, a thunderbolt was something out of the blue you couldn't control. And Doug Fleck had also read that book. And he said he took that, I think he said he took that term thunderbolt. And just what you said, all of a sudden out of the back, the peanut gallery, the coach pipes up something that, we've already moved on and it's too late, but it's a thunderbolt because now it's taken away the emphasis on what we're supposed to be doing. And now everybody kind of gets sucked back into, into that and their yeah. attention gets diverted yeah. and, and you lose the effect of what that guy is starting right. on the whiteboard. Right. So, and, and you know, you have to have a feel too for the, for the team you're working with your coaching staff, like the guy I worked with in, in junior in Ottawa, uh, Daryl, who's an outstanding coach and outstanding individual. And he would often, you know, start something off in the room and we respected each other's skills as coaches too. Um, and he would say, uh, Richard, do you have anything to add? No. What you pointed out was plenty. That was fine. Or you know what, what happens? Richard, do you have anything else you want to point out? No, but you know what, if we did this, but you just said no. No, no. yeah. <laughs> well, no, one, but... one coach, one coach, I was talking to the kids and uh, the coach said, uh, turned to me and said, do you have anything to add to what I've just said to the, to the kids? I said, yep. He says, what? Six plus six is 12. And the, <laughs> the kids all looked at me and I, I don't know whether it was six plus six or whatever it was. And they, one girl, it was a girl's team. One girl looks up. Oh, I get it. Do you have anything to add? I get it. Six plus six is 12. Okay, I got it. All right, small joke. More of a dad joke than anything else. But I was going to say WestJet might hire you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. All right, Dean. That's uh, that's good. We've uh, covered the room. We covered uh, last show, The Addiction to Drills, and we've got 
a lot of the issues in minor hockey solved already, would you not say? I think we're on the right track. We're definitely on the right track. I thank Dean Holden for joining me again today on uh, Grassroots the Minor Hockey Show. You can check us out or check me out anyway, grassrootsminorhockey.com. Listen to the podcast or past podcasts. And um, that's it for this show on The Room. And I will see you in the rink. Dean, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Richard. Okay, we'll be in touch, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.